0: We're awake, we're alive this morning. I like it. It was good to have you all here. It's good to have everyone um, in person. If you're watching us online, um, we're so glad that you're joining us today. My name is Eric, I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. Um, if you're jumping in today for, uh, for the first time or if you've been kind of in and out, we are in a series that we're calling Wildfire, and it's talked, you can kind of see in the subtitle right there, The Uncontrollable Spread of God's Love. And a part of the attempt here is to realize, like, in, in the Christian community, the idea of evangelism has not become the most popular thing to do or to talk about or encourage people to do. And there's a few reasons for that. Some of it is just um, our, our need to maybe be more bold. In other ways, there's some, some embarrassing things that maybe have happened in the history of the church that caused us to be like, I don't know if I want to be that kind of person or that Christian who is speaking or um, you know, engaging people in different ways that might be seen as confrontational or inappropriate. And so we wanted to talk about how the idea of evangelism first and foremost should start um, using this, this, this um, illustration of fire with the heat that we have, meaning our, our, our love for God. That if we burn hot enough in our love for God, that it would cause us to love him and want to share that love with other people. And if we burn with love for other people, that it causes us to want to bring everything that we do into, in our Christian world into the life that we live in front of everyone else. And so the beginning of this is that we are compelled by love first and foremost. The second thing we talked about was fuel and that our lives are to be laid down. As we give our our decisions and acts of obedience and and, and giving us and ourselves to God surrendering that um, as the fuel for that fire because you can only have a spark for so long and you need fuel to continually make that uh, uh, work for a longer term. Well today what I want us to do is to focus on a third aspect and again remember we started heat, fuel and oxygen are the three main components that a fire needs in order to exist and the last one is oxygen. And so what I want you to see today is that the oxygen that we want to blow into the fire is is the winds of the Holy Spirit. It's the idea that the Holy Spirit has this this ability to blow in, to increase the heat, to spread and make the fire stronger in our lives so that the spark that starts with love and the fuel that we live in our lives of obedience out for God accomplishes more than we could ever dream of doing in and of ourselves so in the early years of my ministry, one of the first things I, was, uh, I did, it, it was youth ministry and, and worship is kind of like a combo. And I remember thinking, okay, I want to start this youth group off on a really good um, foundation. And so I started to think through, so what, what are the first things I should do? Well, the gospel is probably a good idea, them understanding and knowing Jesus. And, and the book of John was really helpful for me when I came to know Jesus. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach through the gospel of John. And I worked through it chapter by chapter, just section by section, and then I came across this verse that I had come across multiple times, but for whatever reason, it just stuck out to me in a completely different way. I'm going to read it to you. It's John 3, 8. It should be up on the board. It says, the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Let me read it one more time. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, what I want you to think of, and I accidentally skipped this picture so we can go back to it, is to think of the winds of the Spirit like this. I tried to find someone who maybe had one of these in real life, and I could blow it and really make a big deal out of this object lesson. And I'm sure somebody in here is like, I have one. You should have asked me. I just didn't know. I'm sorry. But here's a picture of a wind bellow, and that's exactly what it does. As you pump it, it pulls air in through that hole and pushes it out in a concentrated way so that it can blow into a fire more oxygen and fan this thing into flame. That's where that phrase comes from, fan it into flame. And so what I want you to do is to think of the Holy Spirit like a wind bellow blowing into the fires that we are attempting to create. And Jesus describes the attributes of the Holy Spirit through this verse, John 3a. He says, someone led by the Holy Spirit should be very much like the attributes of the wind. Jesus says that the wind first is a wind that is unseen, a power that is unseen. You can't see it, but you perceive the effect it has on things around. You can feel it graze across your cheek. You can know when it's blowing your clothes. In fact, when Jesus is telling this story, he's likely sitting on top. I think it even says it in the scripture. Um, he's talking to Nicodemus, uh, and, and he's probably likely feeling the winds blow while he's sitting at the top of the, the rooftop of this house that he's having a conversation in. So it's likely he's just pulling this, this object lesson right out of the air. And it could be that this effect is a cool, calm breeze. And it is that sometimes. The Holy Spirit comes across like that. But it's also, at times, a violent wind. And it comes in rushing and powerful. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit, and someone who follows the Holy Spirit, seems to move with a puzzling inconsistency, right? It swirls around, the wind moves about, it sometimes changes directions. At least from our perspective, it seems inconsistent. And similarly, we see the movement of the Holy Spirit, though an invisible being can be detected through the effect it has on the world around us and the things that we see it interacting with. It seems unpredictable. It seems mysterious. It's well-known in the Irish culture. In fact, I think there's a a house church that's going through a book right now um, by the same name. But but the Irish culture called the Holy Spirit a wild goose, which is where we get wild goose chase from. And so chasing the Holy Spirit is going to be very much like kind of chasing this thing that seems erratic from our perspective. It's difficult to contain within human wisdom. I remember thinking through systematic theologies and all these things. I remember even on a board saying, okay, I can, I can kind of think of like, the, there, there's a systematic way to think of this doctrine and that doctrine, but it just seems like every time I come to the Holy Spirit, it's like it just breaks all my boxes down. I don't know how to categorize the Holy Spirit. Well, after I read John 3, I began to wonder, had I been living my life, Displayed like a windy kind of person. And so I started to evaluate not my salvation, but like what do I resemble somebody that's blowing about like the wind in my day-to-day? And it caused me to re-examine my life and, and see: do I, I tend to work with the tendencies that I see described as the Holy Spirit? And we see it in Jesus' life, right? I mean, think about how impossible it would have been to track him and, de- and detect where he might be going next and what things he might be doing. In fact, he does a lot of the opposite of what we would expect him to do. He's sitting in this operation in earth, and his life was incredibly windy. He's going here, he's traveling around, it's dynamically filled with this unpredictability. Just when you think he's going to go one direction, he doesn't. Just when you think he's going to chastise someone, he gives grace. Just when you think he's going to give grace, he chastises people. It's wild to see it take place. It can even seem chaotic. And if we were to evaluate it against our Western culture, we would call him irresponsible, right? Eventually, the way he lived his life, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Calling people in, calling people out further, he was killed because of it. But there's also beauty in the surrender that he displays in this. And so my life, and I want you to kind of consider your own, like most of our lives, in contrast, are incredibly safe. Right, we, we are on a trajectory, not only do we have an established safety, we're on a trajectory towards attempting to become more safe, more secure, more successful, more risk-averse, and tends to be these like white middle-class norms that, that, that are, that are um, projected or encouraged into the world to say, keep moving in this direction. But that's not necessarily what we see Jesus doing. Most of the decisions we see him make are not based on him accomplishing more predictability in his life and so we are discipled to do that but what we see in the scriptures is not the same thing and when i read this verse i remember just thinking i don't look anything like this like i i I get paid to to set aside my time for the sake of ministry and i don't look like this right so as a youth pastor i'm sitting there trying to figure out like How do I become more windblown in my life? And so what ended up happening is my my day off was Fridays. I had a friend who is literally living on the couch in our house. And I said, all right, tomorrow you're getting up with me and we're going to do some things. Like, sure, I don't have anything else to do, right? And so we jump in my car and this is what we do. We literally say, okay, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to go today? And we pulled out in the car. I say, okay, what do you think? Do you think the Holy Spirit's saying left or right here? We went left or right, depending on where we thought the Holy Spirit was telling us to go. We literally acted on everything we felt like we were hearing from God. So we got up, we're, we're, we're driving around, we, we suspect the Holy Spirit saying this way, we suspect go this way, we suspect go stop at this Circle K or this Seven Eleven, and we went in a different direction just step by step each Friday that we did this. Now it's important for me to point out that we did not know 100% with any kind of certainty That it was actually God saying left or right. But we did trust this. We believe that the Holy Spirit was residing in us and we wanted to take that seriously. He was indwelling within us And we were trusting that that was true. And so the final destination was unclear. And what ended up happening to us is as we were doing it, we would just kind of be obedient to this whisper, obedient to this kind of little movement that we thought. And we were creating space to hear from God and to train our hearts and minds to listen to the Holy Spirit. And what ended up happening is that we're in these incredibly authentic conversations with homeless people who eventually became friends of ours. We engaged these prayer walks on nearby college campus. ASU West was right down the street, and so we would prayer walk this. And we'd be in these, like, spontaneous gospel presentations, sitting in dorm rooms with strangers, asking us, like, what are you doing? Well, like, I mean, we're just following the Holy Spirit. What do you even mean by following? Think of how strange that is to somebody when they just come across two guys walking around praying in these little areas. We're praying with people on streets, in dorm rooms. Telling them about Jesus. And what I want you to see is as we did this more and more, we saw that mission and evangelism became this natural overflow of listening to the Holy Spirit and just acting on what he was telling us. Each encounter was unique. In each encounter, we felt like God was saying, okay, say this or do this thing. And we would see unexpected uh, 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 proclamations of the gospel and unexpected reception. I would not have said that or done these things in those given situations. But here we are making movements with God. And it makes sense, right? That listening to the Holy Spirit would lead to the proclamation of the gospel. It seems to make sense that it would go hand in hand, and he might lead you into watering seeds or planting seeds or maybe eventually harvesting whatever it is that you've labored for. And I want you to see this idea as we as we jump into John twenty. The Holy Spirit and mission are inseparable. And Jesus connects the two as well. John twenty, verse twenty one, just one quick verse and then we'll move on to Acts. John 20, verse 21 says, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now check this next line. That's a that's a type of commissioning. Next line. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So mission and Holy Spirit are connected. Jesus even told his followers that he would be sending the Spirit to empower them to advance the gospel. So Acts 1, 3 through 8. I think I started at 2, but I'm going to start at 3, so I apologize for that little misstep. After his suffering, Acts 1, 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So it's post-resurrection. He's interacting with the people still on earth. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God, and on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, listen for this, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And of course he's pointing towards Pentecost. Verse 6, it says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at that time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to come back? Are you going to establish your reign here? Verse 7 says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates of the father, uh, that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now as you follow the unfolding chapters immediately in Acts, one moment after the other, what you see is literally a wildfire expansion of the gospel take place as Jesus' followers carry it into every region and certainly they reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And as that, that bubble gets bigger and bigger, eventually Paul reaches the epicenter of influence, Rome. And so by extension, the gospel is proclaimed to the rest of the world now what i want you to see here is that we we see the sparks we see the heat in our love for god and our love for others we see that it's fueled by our lives and our obedience to say yes when god tells us to move but the oxygen is essential the wind of the holy spirit is essential if we want to see what we can do multiplied and taken to a whole nother level If we want to see what we can do, brought into the extraordinary, fanned into flame of this supernatural kind of expansion event that we see in the book of Acts, we have to have the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. We can't do that on our own. We do some great stuff. But you throw a little bit of the Holy Spirit into a situation, and I guarantee you're going to start seeing some amazing things. Now, if we want to see a similar movement in our day, we're going to need to practice the art of hearing God's voice. Practice the art of being sensitive to when those things happen. Practice the art of being aware that God might or could do something in a given moment. We're going to have to live lives that look more and resemble more what's described in John 3, 8, like the wind that's blown around. We don't don't even quite know what's going on, but we're just being obedient to this whisper. And that's the goal. So the overarching question for today that I want you to hear is just this simple question. How windy is your life? So stop real quick and think about that. How windy is your life? Maybe you've put up a lot of wind blockers. (laughs) Maybe you've got your windbreaker jacket on. You're like, yeah, I I just only want so much of the Holy Spirit because it can get weird if we go too far down this path, right? Look, we got to be responsible. It could get weird. I can't promise that it won't. That That was weird to the surrounding people. In the beginning when Pentecost happens, they start speaking in tongues and all these things happen. They accuse them of being drunk, right? So my question here is, how windy is your life? And when I received that conviction, reading John 3, 8, those, we called it, we started saying the wind blows days, those Fridays, we started, and we did them for months at a time, all through a summer, and then it continued. But this is what I, what I want you to kind of see, it developed a hunger in me. I started to think on Monday about next Friday. And Tuesday, I'm like, all right, we got youth group on Wednesday, and that's going to be good. And I had a lot of fun teaching the youth ministry. It wasn't that. It was just like those days were so exciting. And I'm like, I'm thinking throughout the week, I can't wait to get to Friday. And then I start thinking, why am I waiting for Friday to do this? Why don't I just do it in everything that I do? And so I start going to the grocery store and thinking, like, God, do you want me to talk to that person? Should I encourage this, the clerk that's checking me out right now? Do you want me to interact with this person that's, that's happening here? And so what happened to be, begin cultivating on a Friday began to overflow into the rest of my days. Now, I want to be real honest with you and say, um, like, I go through seasons of go, doing this well and not doing this well. So my, my hope is not to condemn you that, like, like I was doing this and, and you, like, aren't able to accomplish this, but I do think it is accomplishable, and I also want you to know that we're all trying to figure this out. I don't want you to allow shame to creep in there and stop this, that we move forward better tomorrow than we were yesterday, better the next day than we are that day, right? Continually moving forward, but I want you to know sometimes I'm, I'm like, on point, and I feel like this is me, I'm doing this, and then there's times I'm like, I don't want to talk to these people right now. Right? And there's times that God's like, I don't care if you want to talk to them. This is happening right now. They're talking to you. I'm, I've already prompted it. It's already in motion. You just need to kind of go with the flow in this. All right? In order to cultivate that in you, this is what I want you to do. And I had like uh, multiple points, and I just boiled them down. Like, okay, there's two things I really want us to focus on today. The two, the two things I want you to do is to create assumptions in your mind about a couple of ideas, and it's this. First, assume that the Holy Spirit is present within you. Inside, indwelling is what the scriptures tell us. Within you, living in you. The second is to assume that God is always working even when you're not sure if you want to be working. All right? The Holy Spirit lives in you, and you can assume that God is always, always working. So let's break that down just a little bit. Assuming that the Spirit is present within you, we often understand, I think theologically, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. We're, 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 we're operating under the assumption that God, you know, kind of comes inside of us as we engage, and He enlivens our thoughts. He directs our path. In a general way, we agree with that in, a, in the kind of way that says, like, okay, we're getting a little bit more like Jesus along the way Right? And as we read Scripture, it, it changes our hearts, and that's exactly a good thought. But have you considered the idea that maybe he's directing your path and even animating your imagination in any given moment? And so that thought that came to your mind needs to be vetted. We'll get to that a little bit. All right, it needs to be responsible. But my guess is we assume, ah, oh, I mean, it was just something random that came to my mind. Your thoughts could be infused at times with directives assignments, words, thoughts that are not your own but from God, from the Holy Spirit who's living in you and divine. So the question is always this first, right? How do you know which ones are mine, which ones are Jesus' me, which ones are just random things going on? Well, I've confessed to you before, I'm a Calvinist. Don't hate me for that. So I assume a level of sovereignty already. So kind of feel, if you're not on board with that, then just like kind of filter that out a little bit. So I assume a level of sovereignty and that God is always interacting, directing, bringing things together. So that's kind of a, a baseline assumption that I want to just put on the table that we don't, we don't cultivate here at Common Ground, but that's just something I have, my bias walking in. But this is what I want you to see. You need to know that God's uh, word is going to be the first filter. If there's anything that comes to mind that you think God is telling you to do that goes against the word of God, you're wrong. It's that simple. It's not, I mean, it's not even like uh, difficult. It's just like, If you realize, oh, I mean, that's not God. I I get that. That's something God says not to do, so God would not tell me to do that. All right? Is that pretty clear? That's a pretty baseline starting point. The next thing, though, is, and this is what I'm always trying to encourage people, do you read the Scripture as you're reading to get to know the nature of who God is? When you read the Bible, are you reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, all of it, and just trying to understand, this is the kind of God that I have, and it squares with Scripture. Not the kind of God you wish he was, but the kind of God that he actually is as you read it, and you can look back and say, I mean, he kind of does things like that. And I've mentioned this before, you know, as you get to know someone, you can kind of, you know, if you you have a spouse and they leave, you know, and they come like, do you want dessert? And you can kind of guess, right? Like, oh, I know that my wife likes this dessert and I can anticipate that even if she's not here. So do you read the scriptures with an intention to understand who he is, get to know his nature so that when something comes into your head, you can adequately and accurately say, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. In fact, I saw him do it in this scripture over here in this situation. And so you can move on those things. And so, so the idea is that we want to vet things through Scripture, vet things through an understanding of who God is and his nature so that you can anticipate what he might be telling you and what he may not be telling you. All of your thoughts should be worked through a filter to some extent. Um, I want to tell you a quick story. A friend of mine, she, she, um, well, they recently moved to Colorado, but they used to live in Atlanta. <clears throat> Their family has been incredibly influential on me. And um, I was l- living... Uh, like there's they did this like um, internship I guess would be a best way uh, like a school type of thing where people would live in their basement and um, Megan uh, was telling this story about how one time she was in the airport and she just heard God tell her this word donut in the middle of nowhere and she's like that's a weird thing to hear Megan starts to realize that she's looking around that there's somebody in the building that's sticking out to her and she's like no, like, you, you want me to go tell this person, just walk up to a random stranger in the Atlanta airport and say, donut? And she felt strongly that the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, just trust me on this. And she's like, all right, like, she worked it, like, I'm going to look like a crazy person, I'm going to look like this, this person's not going to take me seriously. And, and she finally is like, you know what, I'll never see this person again. Maybe they're flying to New Zealand and I'll never, who cares, I'm just going to do this right now. She walks up and she said, hey, I don't know if you know Jesus or not, but I, uh, my my husband's a, a pastor um, at a church here in Snellville. And as, we, as, a, a, as I was sitting here, I felt like God wanted me to tell you a word. Do you mind if I say it? She's like, yeah, sure. She said, donut. And the lady just starts crying. And she's like, I'm sorry, you know, like I didn't mean to cause you to cry like in the middle of nowhere. And she starts to tell her, my, my mom and I made an agreement that if she died before me or if I died before her and there was an afterlife, we would come back if we could and tell the other person a message. But it had to be so ridiculous <laughs> that nobody would just guess it. And it was our secret code, it was donut. And she's like, that's amazing, but look, can I tell you, your mom didn't tell me this. God, Jesus, told me this. And he knew that that encounter happened with you, and I need you to know that he's real. And she kind of exchanged information, and they were able to have that conversation later. That's a simple word. Donut? Now the first question you should ask is, does that square with scripture? I mean, I don't see donut, but you know what I do see? In the interaction between Cornelius and Peter, God uses foods, even, to be symbolic of this interaction that kosher foods represent, that non- and non-kosher foods represent, that kosher and non-kosher people, Gentiles and Jews, will come into the fold of God. And so there is this sense of like, well, I mean, he does every once in a while do these kinds of things that maybe wouldn't make sense to me at first, but if it's prepared in advance and God is speaking on both sides, maybe there's something to it, all right? So it kind of checks the nature part of that. God uses personalized symbolism at times. you've heard the joke, right? He used a donkey, he can use any one of us, right? At some points. So if you believe you have the mind of Christ and if the Spirit lives in you, Is it worth your consideration that God might be animating your imagination? Now, we tend to assume the obvious. It's usually just me going about my business, doing the things I do, wandering around, doing the errands that I've got, running kids to and from, things like school bus stops, and this, you know, we're kind of focused on all the things that we do, and maybe every once in a while, in a blue moon, the Holy Spirit might have something to say. Like, every five to ten years, maybe, I might get something that good, right, But that's not indwelling. He's indwelling. That's not indwelling. Listen to what Corinthians three, it's in a different context, but hear what the truth that it says. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? Again later in 619. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? The scripture assumes that the spirit is within you, indwelling. Do you make that same assumption? The second thing I want us to do is to create this assumption that God is always working. If this is true, then your job is to discover what he's doing in any given moment, that God has a handle on something that's happening around you, that he's creating moments. You've heard the term kairos moments, right? The perfect or opportune moment at times that wherever you're present, God is working and operating present in that place. My friend that we we modeled again this wildfire series, he wrote the book called Wildfire. He wrote this. It is also important to train and discipline ourselves to go through our days asking Jesus to give us his eyes for what is happening around us. We may feel a nudge to pray for a coworker who looks stressed or to ask the person in front of us in line how their day is going. And this may end up encouraging a person or be the beginning of a new friendship. God uses these small adjustments in our attitude and actions to help us align more with his heart or to start spiritual wildfires when we connect with people god leads across our path so as you go about your day are you looking for those opportunities Are you trying to find, like, where is the seed that you want me to plant? Where is the thing that you want me to water? Is there someone here that is ready to walk into the fold of God, to be harvested into the kingdom of heaven this day? Are you looking for the leading of God to direct you where he is leading, where he is already operating on site wherever you go? And we talked about Luke 10 a few weeks ago and that God will sometimes send us out to prepare the way for him, but it's also true in reverse. Sometimes God says, look, I have already paved the path. I have, always walked, I have already walked in front of you. I need you to come behind that and engage with the work that I've already done in this neighborhood, in that place, in this house, in this city, in this country. I mean, right now, what's the name of the neighborhood that you live in? Think of it right now. They didn't have this when I was growing up. I didn't have neighborhoods that I identified where I lived. Think of the name. Where is God already working in that place right now? Where is he already present on your street? And how can you figure out, discover where God is working alongside of that? He's doing something. Have you put yourself on alert for the discovery of whatever that thing is? In the book of Acts, we see Paul has a dream of a Macedonian man. And he goes there instead of an area that he's wanting to go. He's like, I'm going to go in this direction And he gets this dream that tells him to go over, and he eventually uh, connects with the church at Philippi. And there's a a group of women praying down by the river. God is working over here and over here, and as we make these connections, you're going to realize that maybe your seed sown over here, where you wanted to go, was not going to be as fruitful as you just going over here. But it may not be the people or the place or the thing that you were wanting to do in your life. There's this one time um, in, uh, so we lived in New Orleans for just a little bit, and there was this tiny little cafe on a corner in downtown uh, New New Orleans, and it was uh, called Cafe Flora. And it was kind of a catch-all for people who would maybe be considered kind of misfits. So I, I would like sit in this place. We'd have our elders meetings here um, on, early on, on certain mornings. Um, but what, what we would do is I would sit out on the, um, on, on the outside of it and read and do preparation for sermons and stuff like this. I see a guy sit in front of me. And the guy, uh, you guys don't know the term gutter punk, but it's like a, a homeless youth um, who travels the country. I don't have any better description. I should have thrown up a picture of this guy. Um, but he kind of looks like something that came out of a Mad Max, all right, video, movie. And he sits in front of me. He's like, got like, all of the, the chains hanging off of him. And I hear God say this name, Robert. And I look over at him and I'm like, whoa, do you want me to tell, like, do I tell him Robert? Is his name Robert? Who's Robert? And God's just like, just go over and talk to him. So I get up and I'm like, Hey, man, who's Robert? Now, in this context, everyone's weirder than me. So I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't going to be that big of a deal. Hey, man, who's Robert? And he looks at me, he's sitting down, he's reading some, some book. And he's like, uh, and he's smoking a cigarette on the, on, on the out, outside. And he looks at me, he's like, I'm Robert. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, Robert, I don't know if you know God, but, uh, and he kind of smiles at me when I do that. I'm like, so I, I think God just told me your name. I didn't hear it. I don't know you. I've never seen you. You've never seen me as far as I know. I come here every week, and I've never seen you here before, but he told me your name, and I came over here just to say, do, do you know who God is? And he says, well, I'm, I'm somewhat of a priest myself. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, touche. What, what kind of a priest? The order, of, and I can't remember the full name, the order of the temple of the uh, Gnosticism. I'm like, what is that? And he's like, in short, I'm a satanic priest. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Robert and I met for weeks at Cafe Flora talking about God, and he had this. He actually invited me, and I was like, nah, I'm not comfortable doing <laughs> coming to your, your church and saying anything in, in that context. That was kind of where I drew my line in that situation. But God introduced me to this guy. I was given the introduction. And the point is that when, when we assume God is working, we're searching, we're hearing from God. And I, I, I have as many times as I didn't do this as, as times as I did, right? No, no one's sitting on a pedestal here. But I've done it a few times and then got hungry for more. And so what I want you to do is to begin considering the possibility that God is always working, God is speaking to you in and throughout you as he indwells you. Not all encounters become conversations, not all things become something that derails my day. Sometimes I'm just on alert and I pray whatever I feel like God is bringing to mind as I pass by somebody in a hallway. I just say, God, you know, I don't know, where they know uh, it, whether they know you or not. And so what I want you to do, though, is maybe simply just pray for people, even if you're not quite in that level of boldness of just to, like, go up and say it. But when you open up your life to God like this, I do think something comes alive in you. I do think you become hungry to do it again. And the, least, the less I do it, the, 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 the times that I kind of let it fade, the more I am disengaged with it. The more I intentionally do it and I see these connections, the more I am encouraged to try it over and over again. I want to read to you one more quote from my friend Ed um, Wake. It says, Being aware and alert to the promptings of the Spirit is something you would not want to miss. It brings adventure into your faith. I find myself driving down the street talking to the Spirit. I ask him if I need to stop and talk to anyone in particular, if I should stop and help a person fixing a flat tire. It is not every time nor all the time that he nudges me, but when it is time to speak, it is a joy, and I know that I was obedient and God was working out his eternal purpose in that interaction. And then he gives this Colossians quote, therefore if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Continually training your mind to be thinking, what is God doing in this moment? What are the things above that are happening right here in my present situation? And of course, like the other one, we tend to assume the opposite, right? God operates, obviously, between the hours of 9 and 11 on Sunday morning (laughs) within these walls. In fact, we'll talk ourselves into the crazy, like, Unless an angel of the Lord flies into my car, sits next to me in the co-pilot seat, addresses me by first, middle, and last name, and just goes like full angels in the outfield. Like, I want to see something huge right now, then it's probably not God. Right? Like, we'll do this weird gymnastics of trying to make and, and, and get God out of our minds instead of assuming the opposite. that Maybe he's operating, doing something right now, right? This isn't the time to be churchy, you know, Jesus He's like, no, 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 now is the time. You are the church. And we do a disservice to our own walk with God when we undercut the mission of God, when we don't see how God is operating in things all around us. So are you willing to come alongside God in that assumption? Are you willing to be a participant in the kingdom movement that he's doing all around us, just jumping in left and right as we see it? A few weeks ago, I I challenged our church to prayer walk. I think some of you thought I was kind of joking. I wasn't joking. I think we should be prayer walkers. But I want to take that and reissue the challenge again today. But I also want to extend it a little bit further. What I want you to do is to start, I mean, we've got the nicest days right now, right? The leaves are going to start falling. The weather is really great. What is stopping you from just kind of taking a walk around your neighborhood and asking God to bring people in your midst that maybe you want, that God might want you to talk to? right enter into this uh, as you do it uh, in, a, in a way that that considers maybe also not just casually doing it but maybe reorienting some things in your life like we're about to start start a fall schedule schools have started seasonal shifts are taking place holidays are happening and you're making commitments as to what you're going to do long term for the next season or so probably up until christmas So I want you to do those commitments, though, as you you can prayer walk casually throughout your thing, but I also want you to be intentional about the things that you're doing. Say, is the Spirit present in this situation? Is God working in this place right now? And in order to be intentional, I think there's going to be two things you'll need. You're going to need to claim some time, and then you're going to need to, at times, in order to find this windiness in your life, or you might need to make some time. And so think kind of in both of those ideas. Some of us need to just take the things we're already doing. Be willing. This is me. Like, we're at the soccer field for practices, and as an introvert, I'm like, I just want to, I don't know, work on my sermon or read a book or do something. And I'm the one who has to talk myself into, like, all right, talk to this dude next to you. All right, hey, man, how's it going? And then, of course, right? Like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And then we'll see how that's taken in that situation, right? So, so I have to do these things, like, intentionally. Like, where. God, what is the thing I'm already doing that I can just bring you into it and I'm not recognizing you in it? So you need to claim that time for Jesus. But some of us do need to make some time. Maybe you've packed your world so full of things that you can't find ways to engage God into and you might need to reprioritize some things. Make time for, uh, for evangelistic opportunities in your life. There's times and seasons where you need to make God the sole focus. And by that, I mean it was helpful for me to, to, to peg those Fridays. And I, I, was, I wasn't married. I was a single guy. right? I had a lot of extra time in my hand to pull this off. But, but, and this was my day off. What else was I going to do? So, but it became this really beautiful incubator in my life. And I'm so glad that I took those moments because I think it changed who I am in in my life forever because of that. But there might be times where you need to to put on the calendar focused time. I am going to learn how to better listen to your voice right now. I'm going to stop and put it on my calendar that on that Saturday I'm actually going to go to this place and intentionally engage in in, in spiritual conversations. There is a place for rearranging your schedule and saying, "I, I can't find a way to make this work. I'm going to force and make it and, and budget my calendar for evangelistic opportunities. Ultimately, the goal is the first, right? That you just pull, pull, it, uh, pull it into everything that you do, right? This is what it means, pray without ceasing when you hear that verse. And so you naturally just become a person who's casually thinking through and, and asking God and interacting with the Holy Spirit in prayer. And so this is my, my challenge for you today, Go on prayer walks. If you're in a house church, pray in each other's neighborhoods. Go into each other's neighborhoods and say, God, where is someone working? Where is there someone who's a person of peace? Where do you want me to be operating today? Be faithful to it. And the reason I say that is I've been prayer walking most weeks in the last couple of months at lake castleton <clears throat> because there's been a lot of um kind of violence in that area and so we're just praying god shalom bring shalom in this place but there's a point where i'm like man i really want a person of peace and it's like i haven't hit that really and i've been discouraged and i remember thinking like jesus can you give me a person of peace somewhere in this apartment complex that that maybe is already engaging with you or has some sort of spiritual curiosity and i felt like this morning he's like oh okay you're serious about it you're gonna keep doing this and i'm like okay yeah, I, th- I thank God. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. Okay, I'll give you a person of peace today. I mean, that's very specific. I met with someone there. I said, hey, I really feel like God told me, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm just off on this, but I really feel like God's going to give us a person of peace, someone to, to interact with today. Lo and behold, I didn't ask this, but I didn't engage. I'm standing by a gaga pit. Does anyone here know what a gaga hit pit is? If you have kids in a certain age range, right? They built a gaga pit in a courtyard, and I'm standing next to it with my friend. We're looking at it, we're praying, like, God, let the children be, be safe here. Let the community take place. And someone from afar is like, what is that thing? I'm like, what is what thing? The thing you're standing next to. My kids love gaga ball, So I'm like, oh, well, it's a gaga pit, and I Wikipedia'd it like two or three days before. It comes from, the, it's like a Jewish game that got imported here as a part of Do- So she, she came to me with this question randomly and I happen to have all this information about a gaga pit out of nowhere. And we start talking. Um, I eventually give her a card. And as she gives me a card, she says, oh, thanks. I need a bookmark, right? She plops it in her tarot card for dummies book that she's reading on the, on, the, uh, you know, on the porch. And it's like, oh, cool. Like, tell me about your book. And we start having this conversation about spiritual things and offer the opportunity to come to trauma healing here because she was saying how difficult it's been with um, COVID for her. God gave us a person of peace. And we're going to continue to pray for that opportunity. Um, this, is, this is the last uh, challenge for you. Tell people about the stories of what happens. I think when we don't, uh, we, we don't realize where God's working. But when you tell, and, and I've been trying to be more consistent, like God, these are uh, people of common ground, like these are things that are awesome that are happening right now. This is an exciting moment. This thing happened. Here's a story of what happened to me the other day, because I think it encourages us when we hear how the Holy Spirit's moving and we're more likely to continue doing it as we move forward. Amen? Can we try it? Can we try it? Maybe? Okay, so um, next week, Pastor Rush is going to be here um, with us. He is going to be giving his perspective on evangelism. Um, On the week after that, we will be uh, closing our wildfire series, Um, and uh, as the heat, fuel, oxygen thing kind of closes up, and the thing that I want us to look at in that moment is this. What we've talked about fire, the heat, the fuel, the oxygen, what makes the fire, we're talking about wild. What makes the fire that we're talking about wild? You're gonna have to come here uh, on that day to figure out more about it. But until then, I want us to focus on allowing the winds of the Spirit to fan into flame our love and surrender our lives to Jesus. Would you let me pray for you in that way? Let's pray together. So, Lord, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, the gift that it is, that it causes unity. God, we learn so much about it in uh, in John towards uh, 13, 14, 15, 16. There's just this thing about this counselor, this person who will give us what we need to know when we need to know it. when that indwells us. God, inspire us to be courageous and bold and to embrace the idea of, Holy Spirit, that you are indwelling us. Help us to embrace the idea that you are always working even when we can't see it. And help us to become attentive to see it when it's happening, Lord. Father, I want to see a wildfire movement, not not just out of common ground northeast. I want to see wildfire movements in every single neighborhood represented in this room today. Each of us has the spark. Each of us has the fuel that we could offer. Each of us has the Holy Spirit. Lord, fan to flame a wildfire expansion in our day, and may it start in the neighborhoods and out of the homes of every person who is hearing my voice in person or online right now. We thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.